Hello ninjas and ninjets and welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name's Tim, head ninja at Exposure Ninja and very jet lagged, best-selling digital marketing author after a week in Vegas at a digital marketing conference. Don't worry, it was all work. This week on the podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by Phil Byrne, and he's going to be talking with us about Google Tag Manager. He loves Google Tag Manager, so he's going to be explaining why every business should be using Tag Manager and some different use cases for it as well. We're also going to talk a little bit about Twitter and LinkedIn ads. So if you're using those or you're not using those yet, then stay tuned for that. As always, if you enjoy the episode, then head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find it to leave us a rating and a review. If you've got any topic suggestions or things that you want to hear us talk about or people that you want us to interview, then uh, tweet us at Exposure Ninja. Anyway, without further ado, let's get stuck in. Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. I'm delighted to be joined this week by Phil Byrne, who's the head of an agency called Positive Sparks. And today we're going to be talking about a very, very exciting and sexy topic, the Google Tag Manager. So you've probably heard about Google Tag Manager. Maybe maybe you've not got it installed yet on your site. You might not know what it's all about and whether it's really worth using. Well, Phil's going to kind of give us a bit of a run through. He's a paid traffic expert with a very keen interest in Tag Manager. And he's going to be sharing exactly how and why people should be using it. So, Phil, welcome to the show. Hey, Tim. It's good to be here. <laughs> cool. So, Analytics Code, Remarketing Pixel, Facebook Pixel, Twitter Pixel, LinkedIn Pixel, all of this code bogging our sites down. Now, Google Tag Manager, isn't this just another piece of code that we need to install? Well, it's a good question, Tim. And lots of people ask me exactly the same thing. And, you know, what Tag Manager does in many ways, is actually reverse what you said there. So you're very right that all our sites tend to be tagged down with all these different bits of code that we insert there. But what Tag Manager really is intended for is to be one bit of code that then allows us to insert lots of other bits of code for analytics, for remarketing, for AdWords from that single place. So it actually makes all of that code that we put on our sites much lighter. So yeah, so it's it's basically a way of injecting various tracking codes into our site in a in a kind of clean and efficient process i guess is it exactly and 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 that is very much you know the most boring way to think of tag manager in some ways to me even though that's what it was intended for in the in the beginning so you know where i find it really exciting if you can say that about code i am a marketeer not a developer is is how it allows me to customize analytics that's probably the most exciting part of Tag Manager for me. So I can see things happening on a site via Tag Manager that I wouldn't be able to see with analytics on its own. So if you think of it that way around, as a marketing person, it suddenly becomes a lot more exciting. Okay, so talk us through some of those things which you would be using Tag Manager to see which you wouldn't normally see in analytics. Well, the the first thing is, is better conversion tracking. So we can do kind of quite simple conversion tracking with analytics on its own. Uh, So we might set up a conversion to a thank you page is the simplest one that we might look at doing. But with Tag Manager, it becomes much easier for someone like me as a marketing person who, you know, I do know a little bit about code, but not enough to go and develop a site. I can then quite easily insert other conversions that I'm interested in via Tag Manager without the help or need for a developer to 
to kind of assist me do that. So the, the best example is to think of a funnel. We talk a lot in marketing about creating a funnel, how someone progresses through the site to that end conversion that you're after. And with Tag Manager, it's very, very simple to track each step of that funnel as we go along. So traditionally, I would have had to have gone to a developer to, to help me do that and help me create some custom events, which then trigger in analytics. Now, being able to do that myself as a marketeer means that I can review, change them, alter them. And, and when we think of, you know, I believe, Tim, that a website needs to be fresh all the time. And so we want to think of promos that we can do for Valentine's Day in a couple of weeks. And then perhaps we change everything for Easter and then look to do something very, very different for the summer. So with something like Tag Manager, it no longer involves a developer, which means as a marketing end of things, we can alter stuff very, very quickly. Does that give you some insights there into why it is exciting, even though it's cold? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So <laughs> I think there's two things, isn't there? There's that there's that audience piece and, and the kind of the greater insights. And then there's also there's also kind of addressing some flaws within Google Analytics, which Tag Manager also takes care of, doesn't it? And in particular, we see um, when we're looking through analytics, we'll often see that one of the main referral sources for a, for a site is something like PayPal or SagePay, mm. where it's clear that what's happened is someone's been through the checkout process, they've paid on PayPal, they've then come back to the site. And Google Analytics, in a very unsophisticated way, is seeing that as a new visit. We can use Tag Manager to, to, to get around that, can't we, in, in a more elegant way, which is going to give us more accurate data. Exactly right. And so there's something in Tag Manager called the data layer, which perhaps sounds even more boring. <laughs> but it, you know, essentially what it is, it's all the little bits of data clicks and, and events that the site gathers as you progress through it. So if you learn to look out for the most important data elements that, that you want to be interested in, then you can channel them through Tag Manager and push them into a, a flow, an event flow, into analytics, which as you just said there, is way more accurate for your site than the standard setup. Google Analytics. And you know, the thing to remember, Tim, about analytics is it all works off averages, averages across the internet. And so, you know, if one of the things analytics will ask us is what industry we are in when we first set up that analytics account, then it tries to compare our site with lots of others in that realm. And that means that we're judging our success and failure by lots of sites, which are probably very different. Using Tag Manager, we customize analytics to reflect our individual site, and therefore we get much more accurate information, and we highlight the things that we're interested in, rather than the general things that analytics will give us as a default setting. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. So what, when we're talking about customizing the data and, and making analytics kind of bespoke for our sites, one of the main sticking points for a lot of particularly content-heavy sites is, is this thing about bounce rate. Mm. Obviously, the, the technical definition of a bounce is a single event visit. So someone who visits one page, they don't visit another page and they don't trigger an event. So someone can come on a site, they can read a blog post for 15 minutes and then they can leave. And that is considered a bounce in analytics. Now, whether or not that is, you know, whether or not it's useful to look at it as a bounce, I, I'm, I'm not too sure. I think there's probably a more useful, uh, a more useful definition of a bounce there. So 
there's quite a lot of ambiguity with there, isn't there? So firstly, when is a bounce not a bounce? And then secondly, how can we use Tag Manager to, to kind of help us see how many people are actually bouncing, as in kind of leaving immediately without doing anything? Well, that's a great example, Tim, of, a, of an average event that analytics pushes on our site based on an average across the web. So the only bounce rate that matters is the one relevant to our site. But what we can do with Tag Manager is actually tell analytics what we believe a true bounce to be. So sites come in all shapes and sizes. Some sites encourage us to click through to other pages. Some web pages and websites are very information-led, and they actually want to keep us on the page, invite us to read more, and not progress through other pages that are further on down the path. A great example of that is a landing page. Often the landing page incites us to take one piece of action. And so there's not really an incentive to scroll through the site and read the about page and the contact page and progress on. So through Tag Manager, we tell Google that. We kind of say to Google, look, you know, anyone that's on our web page for more than a minute, don't count it as a bounce. Or anyone who's on our web page and scrolls down rather than clicks through, don't count that as a bounce. And that, in, in return, gives us a much more accurate bounce rate based on what we want people to do on our site. We can go further on from that and create better remarketing lists. If we're in control of what a bounce is and what it isn't, then we're creating better information for us to take further PPC action on further on in the future. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. You, you mentioned the remarketing list there. and. I'd like to dig into that a little bit more because we can we can trigger a remarketing pixel when someone's been on the site for a certain amount of time, can't we? So as, sure. as you say, that gives you a much, much more accurate and, and more qualified remarketing list than just sticking the pixel on anybody who've, who's visited any page at any time. Sure, absolutely. And so I don't know if you do this, but you know we tend to use the AdWords remarketing pixel itself to create our remarketing list. And in the olden days, we'd have needed a developer to put that onto a site. Through Tag Manager, it's very, very quick and simple. Once the Tag Manager code is there, there's actually a, a kind of a template already on Tag Manager that will install the AdWords remarketing pixel and loads of other common things that we do straight into Tag Manager with a minimum of effort. And then from there, we're then in control over what kinds of lists we want to create, what kind of remarketing information we're interested in. So you're dead right. We're in complete control as to what type of person we want to show our kind of ads to, whether that's someone who's progressed through the site to a certain point, whether we want to refer back and say, you know, anyone that progresses through to the cart, adds something to the cart, but then doesn't quite finish that particular transaction, we want to show them a different remarketing ad compared to someone who, who has never even got to the cart. Because those two people are at three different stages in their interest and all of that we can configure through tag manager yeah sure i i guess with the with the landing page example that you mentioned there there are google would see or regular analytics setup would see i guess two possible outcomes of that landing page visit it would either see a conversion or a bounce if there's no other link on the page it has to be one of those two right but we've also got this this they didn't bounce they didn't leave the site immediately they didn't come puke leave 
they came, they spent some time, as you say, maybe they scrolled, you spent a couple minutes on the page, but then still didn't convert. That doesn't necessarily mean they bounce. So I guess that targeting those guys in a remarketing ad would, would be a much more effective way than, than just targeting everyone who visited that page. Would you ever trigger multiple retargeting lists on the same page according to behavior or time spent on a page? Yeah, that, that is a possibility. Absolutely. I think it depends on what type of page it is and and how in-depth you want to take things. So to get to that point is probably more relevant to sites that have a lot of traffic versus sites which are just starting out. And the main kind of aim is to really increase traffic sources. So, But certainly with an e-commerce site, there are lots of stages in someone's progression through a site of that kind that we can offer different kinds of ads too. So certainly if you're an e-commerce site with you know, 5,000 plus unique visitors a month, there are way more remarketing opportunities which Tag Manager will let you take full advantage of. Perfect. Okay, let's talk through some typical examples, if possible now. So let's talk about, firstly, we've been talking about e-commerce. Let's, how would a business, uh, an e-commerce company, use Google Tag Manager to, to make more money? What are some typical situations that they would be using it? Well, to, to track orders, to... Um, Look at what people, What one of my favorite tags, Tim, is, is what's called an all clicks tracker. So you ask Tag Manager to pump into Google Analytics events all the different things that people click on. So a, a real simple tag to create and one that will show you what people are clicking on across the whole site. And then suddenly you're seeing what people's interest is. Now that, you can imagine, I'm sure you're already thinking, well, that will create some great remarketing lists as well. Because we can see what people people are doing a certain kind of click are interested in one thing versus someone else who's perhaps clicking elsewhere. Now that kind of uh, tag manager tracker will also show you parts of your site that people maybe struggle with and don't quite do the, the flow that you're hoping they would do. So that can feed back into further web development as well. Uh, taking it forward into e-commerce, you know, we, we would do the, the typical things, track people who add things to cart but don't buy. We would track people who go all the way to checkout and they suddenly drop out at that point right at the last second. Uh, and then we're also going to track people who do become regular customers, who, who do make regular transactions and, and we want to treat them a bit more specially perhaps than we do with the people. So for me, those are the main ones I'll tend to employ. What do people do? What are they interested in? And what can we see from that all-click tracker that shows us where they found it a bit difficult to progress. And what would be some symptoms of a, an area of the site where people are getting stuck and finding it a little bit tricky? Well, the one that you always find that most sites have somewhere, especially when they're big, is a link that doesn't work or a link that takes people to the wrong place. Uh, and something like an all-click tracker will really bring that up. A second one is often where people have grabbed a code from somewhere that's, that's maybe expired. You know, there's so many sites now, Tim, that have voucher codes on there. And people will grab them and try them, even if they're six years out of date. It's just a trend of the internet. So that tells us something about that person. It also, it's also a great opportunity to offer them a more up-to-date coupon if, uh, if that happens. So those are the two that I see a lot of. Um, other ones are always relative to the site. So every site is set up in a slightly different way. Every site has parts of it that work beautifully and parts of it that don't work quite so beautifully. 
So we, we can highlight those through the different tracking systems that we have. And then another one perhaps is also new products. I always tend to put more trackers on a new product than products which have been around a while because we're, we're looking to see do they interest people, how far do they go on with the with the purchasing decision. Uh, sometimes, you, you know, you, you even get little things to think about. The other day I was looking at a site where there was three or four new products and they weren't selling, despite being almost the same but cheaper than the ones before. And what we kind of tried in the end was to get some new reviews for those new products from the, the small amount of people who had bought them. And that's what made the difference, Tim. So, you know, sometimes the well, a Google Tag Manager tracker doesn't give you the exact answer. It just tells you there's a problem. And that, you know, sends you to bed that night thinking about everything and wake up with new ideas in the morning. If we had a pound for every business that had improved the, uh, the conversion rate of their product pages with some reviews. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so that, that's really useful for an e-commerce site. How about a, a service-based company, a solicitor's firm, an accountant's firm, where they mm. might only have one very straightforward conversion, be it a contact form in their sidebar or something like that? H how could they use Google Tag Manager? Well, the first step would be to quickly install all the different pixels that they want to use. If they're advertising on Facebook, you know, on, on Twitter, then the Tag Manager will help them install all the different pixels that can help them create those ads very, very quickly. The second thing would be to use that all-click tracker. Let's see what people are doing on the site. But we could easily see which, if there's three or four services on offer, which ones are the most popular, which ones do people end up signing up for their incentive, whatever it may be, what inspires the most newsletter signups? Uh, and which services do people look like they're interested in, but they don't take further action? So those those are the first things I would think of there. But but on a site that doesn't have e-commerce, it does tend to become more about helping us generate traffic and enhancing the page that actually asks people to take action. So whether that's a newsletter sign-up, signing up for a free piece of content or some other kind of incentive, Tag Manager will help us make that page perform a bit better by simply tracking what people do. That, that's awesome. That's that's perfect. And I actually want to I want to segue like a, a very bad DJ on a Monday night at the social club. You, you mentioned Twitter ads there. I'd, I'd love to talk to you a bit more about about Twitter ads. I know that's something mm. that, that you guys at Positive Sparks are quite keen on. Um, we, we've seen varying results with, with Twitter ads. I have to be I have to be honest, and it's not something that mm. we offer to clients as a result of that. What, what, what's your experience with Twitter ads? Where do you see it working most effectively? Uh, well, most effectively, I think in the UK, and uh, I think I, I think you're your clients in the UK, Tim. Are you in most UK? of them, yeah, most UK and US. Similar to us. So in the UK, Twitter Owlies are really popular. So Hashtag Owls is another name for Twitter Owlies. And that's where people will come together at a specific time, united by either a location or an interest, and chat about that location interest or if they're a business group, it might be business in London or whatever it may be. And that can be quite a powerful thing on Twitter because it's the only time on Twitter where lots of people are there at the same point. So uh, a quick idea and a strategy that can work really well on Twitter is to, first of all, join a hashtag hour and take part. So people see you present as a real person. Because if you go to your Twitter inbox feed, 
it's very, very easy to think that nothing on Twitter is real because it's just changing so fast. And, uh, you know, the average tweet lasts probably about a second before it drops off the page. So being there as a person at a, a Twitter hour is a good thing to do because you're responding to real conversations in the, in the environment as such. Then if directly after that hashtag hour, you show a Twitter ad about something that you have on offer, then that can be a great source of lead generation because you are promoting to the people who've just seen you as a real person in that hashtag hour. Does that make sense to him? Yeah, so it's, it's, you're kind of using it as a way to follow up or almost, I guess, remarket to to people that you've already made a connection with or who have been discussing a, a particular topic using a common hashtag. Yeah, bang on, bang on. And, and, and that's really, you know, Twitter is a great source of lead generation is what I would say. It's very, very tough to go from Twitter directly to a sale unless you're offering some crazy price and, and are... It's such a good deal that people can't resist, which there are not many of in the world. So especially for a service business, it's more about being present and following that up with something that helps the people you've just interacted with. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. So is, is there a way that you would use Twitter ads without that kind of in-person upfront piece, just out to cold traffic to generate leads? Or would you always use it to follow up some kind of engagement like this? I would always go, if you can, the engagement is the best way because that's, that's something that really gives you a, a point of difference on Twitter. And I think marketing is often about points of difference and unique selling points. So if that's possible, that's what we'll go for. If you are in certain industries, so a great example would be weddings. Weddings is, is something that is so popular on Facebook. Lots of Facebook groups talk about weddings. It's the same on Twitter. There are lots of hashtags which are wedding-driven. And that's a huge life event. I don't know if you're married, Tim. but I am indeed. It was definitely a huge life event. <laughs> there we go. So we both know that. <laughs> and that's the kind of industry which can do well on Twitter it, because we have a, an audience which, which has a deadline, you know, has this wedding date perhaps in the future, and they're looking for things which will help them make the most fantastic day of their life come true. So that kind of industry it can work really well on. But if you are... You know, let's say you're an account based in a certain city and there's nothing time dependent on what you offer, then the personal touch followed by the ad is the better way. Okay, so imagine that I'm the accountant and I want to start using these Twitter hourlies. What, what's the first step? How do I go about doing that? The first step, Tim, would be to go to hashtagify.me and look up some hashtags which are relevant to you and Try and base them on your location. So if you're based in and around London or Manchester, look for the hashtag hours that happen in your region. You can also do a Google search for the same thing. If you Google search hashtag hour Manchester or hashtag hour London, you'll get a few choices coming up. Attend those hashtag hours in person. Promote uh, yourself if, if you see the opportunity. But most of all, respond to and get to connect with the people that attend that hashtag hour regularly. Once you've done that two or three times in a row, then on the fourth week, attend in person again, but schedule an ad, promoting your services and probably something that's newsletter driven. So you're not asking people to buy a service or take you on as an, a consultant. You're offering an incentive for people to sign up to your latest news and receive regular updates from you and run that ad directly after the hashtag hour. 
And because people have seen you there in person, that's got a much better chance of converting for you. Okay, so standard networking rules apply. This is not just an opportunity for you to pummel people with your business card. This is an opportunity to answer people's questions, be of service, be useful, be an an interesting human being, not just a a (laughs) self-promoter, because that obviously turns people off. Once they've come to know you, then you run an ad, but you're not pitching your services. Maybe you're pitching something like, if for an accountant, it might be something like a free tax inspection or free tax audit to make sure that you're not paying too much tax or you know something like that where it's a it's much more gentler lead into a conversation about becoming them becoming a client absolutely tim and you know what i even think those rules always apply i think if we always promote ourselves even if we're doing pay-per-click advertising then it's it's a tough sell because people don't like to be sold to all the time so i think we've always got to mix promotion with being a great human being, as you you just mentioned there. Yeah, it's it's it feels like things are starting to go that way more and more now. We're seeing the Facebook ads, which are most effective, being a Facebook ad driven to pure content, for example, and then the retargeting will be the the pitch once we once we have that relationship with the with the visitor, I guess. So it's it's basically a version of this this hashtag hourly strategy which you're using where you first you give the value through the piece of content that you've written and once they're familiar with you then you follow up with a slightly commercial message which moves into a a relationship if that's appropriate absolutely and you know Tim, one thing i've learned in 20 years of marketing is we're never ever in control of when someone becomes a customer that's all about timing it's about what's happening in their life at that moment all these things that were not in any aspect in control of what we are in control of is how we communicate and how we come across and how much authenticity we have and that's so important because at the end of the day people remember great people this is so true i just got back from a a week in vegas a a high-end marketing mastermind and it's so refreshing to be at a group a a conference where the people that you associate with aren't just about self-promotion the people are successful enough that they don't need your business as a client so just happy to talk and everyone's just happy to talk and share and be useful and do you know what it ends up making so many relationships that turn into business relationships out of that because it just comes from it comes from a really natural place doesn't it it just comes from two people who have some sort of connection they can see that their businesses would be a good fit for each other and then that develops into a relationship without either one of them being too overtly pitchy really interesting that sounds like a great week in many ways tim it really does <laughs> um i noticed you also you, you mentioned uh, linkedin ads on, on your website there mm. same rules apply absolutely you know linkedin is all about personal connections it's uh, it's not something where we can jump in there and play our own drum and expect everyone to turn around and listen. It's exactly the same rules. Um, I don't know if you saw the recent news about LinkedIn's new sponsored emails, uh, but that is a, a really interesting looking platform to me about a, a new way of advertising online. Uh, so that's, for, for those of you that haven't uh, seen anything about that yet, that allows you to send an email via LinkedIn's own direct messaging system that you target to a certain demographic. So you can target by job title, industry, group membership, whatever you wish. 
Uh, so a great opportunity for us to say hello and introduce ourselves and promote what we offer. But the same things apply to him. We can't just go in there and say, hey, this is what I do. Do you want to buy it? Thank you. It's, it's all about getting across who we are as much as what we do and how we do things. And our own unique take on that is often our best selling point. And that takes time to get over. A big part of that is also listening to what other people do and how they want things to be. We could never be a great supplier to someone without knowing what they're about and what they want. Yeah, completely agree. In fact, as soon as you get, I don't know if it's, I don't know if you find the same, but as soon as I get an unsolicited mail on LinkedIn, I immediately think pitch. So the radar goes right up, doesn't it? Because it's normally someone in recruitment or it's someone who wants a job, who's pitching their own, you know, themselves to us. So as soon yep. as that person's radar up is up, you've got you've got quite a battle, haven't you, to turn that round? We run a run a campaign using the um the, the sponsored uh, in mails recently, trying two different approaches. Firstly, was just to we were targeting people who were um, marketing managers and in, in charities, and the first uh, first way was just to target people straight away, saying there's this particular advertising which is available to you you can claim it and the second way was to just send them a really chilled out message which just said hey i i was reading about this this particular marketing thing i wasn't sure if it applied to your charity thought you might want to take a look and then we just send them straight to a blog post so it's a much more informational post than just a straight up pitch saying hey are you interested in this let's let's go um and and that approach got a much much better response much you know far far more clicks so I guess we're just seeing exactly the same thing, even though it's a sponsored sponsored piece, that doesn't mean you have to go in really hard trying to get that conversion there. And then it's a chance to begin a relationship. And I think on LinkedIn, that it's, it's all about the relationship, isn't it? Maybe even more than something like Twitter. I totally agree, Tim. And well, what a great approach. It sounds like you had there with your, your, the second idea that you spoke about sounded a beautiful way to go about this. Someone sent me a couple of weeks ago a piece of music and it was sort of labelled something for your Friday afternoon. It was very, very chill, beautiful classical piece. Uh, I don't know why they thought I'd be interested in classical music. I'm a Smiths fan from the 80s, <laughs> but still, it was nice to receive, and, and it was different. And, you know, people sometimes think that when we pay for advertising, it gives us the right to say things in whatever way we want to do. It doesn't do that. It just gets us that hello a little bit quicker than doing things organically. We still have to be graceful in the way we say hello. I that is such an elegant way of saying it. When people pay for advertising, they think that it gives them the right to say whatever they want. I think that is that sums up so much of what is wrong with advertising. It's so elegant. I want that on a t-shirt. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Tim. <laughs> Love it. Phil, so, this has been really, really interesting. Thank you so much for sharing your insights with us. Where, where can people find out a bit more about you and Positive Sparks? They could go to the main site, positivesparks.co.uk. So that's positive and sparks, S-P-A-R-K-S.co.uk. Uh, we're giving away a free web marketing pack. So if you'd like that, that would be positivesparks.co.uk forward slash pack. Uh, we have our own podcast to call Positively Sparking. You'll have to come on that sometime, Tim. We'd great to have to. you on there. Uh, so that's on iTunes and all the regular podcast uh, directories. And then come and find me on Twitter same again it's positive sparks on twitter come and tweet me love to say hello phil thank you very much everybody thank you very much for joining us don't forget to head over to itunes or stitcher or wherever you find this episode 
to subscribe and leave us a review.